Welcome back to Trot's Life, and I'm now joined by, in many regards, the man of the moment, Matt Newbury. Matt, firstly, mate, how are you, and whereabouts exactly are you today? Uh, yeah, I'm doing doing really well. Um, I'm currently in Baruga at the minute, um, doing a bit of travelling across the New South Wales countryside today. Uh, so why is that, mate? What are you? Is this for um, a second job or is this your first job? What are you doing today? What are you doing going to New South Wales? Yeah, well, it's sort of for my main full-time job, um, driving uh, trucks for uh, DSK Waste Services out of Namurka. So I, I drive um, the recycle truck, knowing your household recycling. Uh, yeah, do a, do a lot of hours and a lot of Ks during the week. Okay, so how do you juggle that with the horses? Oh, I make time. <laughs> I just uh, keep on working until I get finished and then, um, yeah, just head out to the farm sort of whenever there's horses still to work by the time I get finished at the end of the day and, um, yeah, just make plenty of time to obviously travel to the races so that I can keep a hand in. Uh, very good. So would that so tomorrow night at Melton, you're not going to have time to go. Is that why you're not down to drive any, or has Jad, as Dad said, no, nah, no, nah, enough of this. I'm taking back over the reins here. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's a little bit hard sort of getting down to Melton and, and that racing during the week. I've done it a couple of times just sort of recently, but uh, yeah, it's a long way and a long way back. And when I'm when I'm up for work at four o'clock in the morning, it, it gets a little bit difficult to be getting home around midnight. So. Yeah, and our dad's uh, more than happy to sort of keep the reins on uh, the other horses that we've got going around, especially when it's uh, so sort of hard to, to get away. Yeah, we'll call you Group 1, Matt, from now on. We'll <coughs> just tell him you'll jump back on when he's got another Group 1 runner. That's that's no worries about that. Now, your journey in harness racing, obviously, you've grown up around the horses. And I don't know, did you get your licence sort of straight away as soon as you can when you're about 18 years of age? Is that And then had a little crack at driving? Yeah, so when um, yeah, when we come back over from uh, New Zealand, uh, we were over there for a fair while, you know, Dad being a Kiwi, and um, we got back over here and sort of not too long after we got back to Australia, I ended up having to go in and um, have an ACL reconstruction, but I was sort of in the process of starting to organise getting my licence before that happened, and after that, um, sort of the recovery and everything just sort of pressed on, and got my licence and yeah just started doing a little bit of driving for dad um, for the most part and yeah as the years have sort of gone on I've, I've moved around a little bit I was up in Queensland for a while working in construction sort of a little bit away from the horses and mm. and I was down in Melbourne not doing a lot of driving working for another company sort of just working full-time jobs and but for the most part you know sort of especially through the first sort of seven years I was yeah just working with mum and dad there at the farm and, and driving the horses. When you're in New Zealand, you look more like a uh, rugby player than a forward pocket. Were you playing rugby or anything like that? Is that what caused your ACL injury? Yeah, yeah, I was playing yeah. for um, playing rugby over there in high school and that. And um, I actually sort of in my year ten year in high school over there when I was fifteen, it ruptured the ACL and stretched out like bubble gum, which yeah. apparently it can be worse than tearing it because. When you go for scans and that sort of thing, it can be a little bit difficult to actually pick up and you end up sort of on it for longer without knowing. And that's sort of what happened. I ended up playing a full season after that um, on, on a ruptured ACL. And 
you know, sort of as, as your elbow bends the other way, that's what my knee started doing, swinging through. So that yeah. wasn't real comfortable. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that's, that's a horrific uh, visual I've got of that, mate. No wonder you wanted yeah. to get that fixed. Yeah, yeah, definitely wanted to get that fixed. And, um, you know, it was a pretty long process, really, because, you know, it can be difficult to get in to get operations done. But thankfully, Ian McDonald down there at the uh, Shep track, he, he knew some people that had, you know, had sporting injuries and that through the VFL and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And he uh, managed to help us get in contact with a, a surgeon down at uh, uh, Box Hill. And yeah, it sort of only took about a month or two after that. And I was down getting scans and, and wasn't too long after that that I actually got in and had the operation done where I was looking like I was going to be waiting on the waiting list for over three years. Well, our harness racing's a pretty amazing. We're a family, aren't we, really, ultimately, at the end of the day, and we'll get into something else in a minute, but that that's wonderful for me and McDonald, and that probably shows what harness racing is, really. Yeah, it really does. The um, the connections that, you know, you sort of don't really realise everyone's got, and <clears throat> you just go around and have a, have a chat to somebody, and all of a sudden they pop up a story and say, oh, I'm... I can help with that, and yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, big, big family sort of thing. That's for sure with the industry. So, if we had done this twelve months ago, or maybe sixteen months ago, had I said to you, "Who's your favourite horse?" What would your answer have been? Well, at that time, it would have uh, been old Lombard or Belief. Um, yeah, he retired around uh, June last year, but uh, he he'd just been such a great horse for me. He gave me my first. Uh, driving winner up at Menangle and he won about mm. 11 races for me and he he was there for me when I was working for uh, for Trittons and I actually lost uh, my horse who I'd bred and owned myself and it was a very difficult time and it he, he just sort of I had such a special connection with him that yeah it definitely would have been him. Who was the horse you lost at the time? Uh, a trotter by the name of All Hall. Um, he was yeah, my my first breeding um, sort of venture. I leased yeah. the um, the mare off of my grandparents on on dad's side and put her in fold at Angus Hall. And yeah, pretty well from the moment he was foaled, there was just a very special connection between us because the rest of the foals out of the mare for the for the longest time they just wanted absolutely nothing to do with you. They'd just run off and disappear with the mare, and pretty well as soon as he was strong enough to be wandering around on his own, you know, go down there to see him in the paddock and he'd just come walking straight up to me. It was just sort of like he knew. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did he race? I don't remember him. Yeah, he, he raced a little bit. He was pretty lightly raced. Um, he looked like he was going to be a pretty handy uh, horse early on and um, unfortunately he did a couple of things wrong at his first start and then after that, sort of as a three-year-old, when he came come back, he... He was working on the back of the Majestic at home, working down mm. sort of 317 for a mile and a half, and he was absolutely low flying. I thought I had a Derby-class trotter, and, and then all of a sudden the wheels fell off and he wouldn't even jog around the track. So, yeah, and um, it took Dad a long time to sort of get him going again after that, um, sort of trying to re-educate him again for me, and yeah, he ended up winning one uh, over at Bendigo with uh, Dad in the cart, and... He did a great job. Yeah, wow. 19 starts, one win, four placings. I've just brought him up. And it's amazing how a horse like that could be, you know, so special to you when you look at a horse like Just Call Me Earl, who 
won so many races over so many years, but they just get in different ways, don't they, these animals? Yeah, exactly right. And, yeah, it was just that, that sort of connection that he he bonded with me from right when he was a foal. And, yeah, yeah. being my, my first um, breeding venture, it just meant so much more. Pat, tell us about the floods, mate. Like, we had your mum on during, oh, during like, literally, <laughs> literally she was up to her waist in water, I think, and on the phone to me telling me about it. That that feeling, you know, you're on the property and you're wading through water to lead horses out through a boat and et cetera, and you must have felt, it must have been such a strange feeling, All what, what's it now, 14 months ago, but it might feel like it's so long ago now. Yeah, it certainly does feel like it's a long time ago now, um, especially sort of the way that everything happened. We were, you know, just hearing about the fact that it, there was flooding in Shepherd and in that, um, and we were saying, oh, this place that never floods will be good as gold. And then um, the uh, levee bank burst, and mum and dad ended up going down the road to have a look, and all of a sudden there was water flowing straight towards the property, and I was in bed at the time, so they were heading to work the next morning, and um, I ended up up until about 2 o'clock that next morning because we were moving bales of hay and, and everything like that up onto um, the top of a, uh, a container up in the shed and trying yeah. to just get everything to higher ground. And I ended up calling in for, uh, for work, saying I wasn't going to be there at about 2 o'clock and saying I can't do it, I've got no sleep. But... Um, yeah, it was a surreal feeling, sort of as, as it sort of initially started, and and then sort of took about a, another day or so for then where the water had stopped that first sort of night. Within sort of about eighteen hours, it went from being sort of about you know knee height, about two foot of water, to being up over six feet in some places. Yeah, wow. So yeah, it was yeah pretty um pretty hard to fathom the way that it. That it all happened. I I know you're in the midst of getting into a new property at this stage, but you've lost your track. Your track's underwater, and your fences must be badly damaged, etc. And you're working a job, and harness racing's not that easy, mate. So you know, was there a point where you all thought, "Do we keep going at this? Do we keep plying our trade at harness racing?" Yeah, well, I think sort of those sorts of thoughts probably come through the mind uh, more of mum and dad at the time because, mm. you know, I was just so fixated on the fact that I had, you know, a job that I was working full-time and um, sort of thankfully for them, um, they were able to get some boxes out at uh, Concord Park from, from Stephen Duffy in a couple of yards and yeah. they were able to move the, the racing team around there and they were having to sort of paddle out through the water and and get to the car and head in there and work the horses and yeah just it was a very uh difficult time that was for sure but through the support of of the people in harness racing once again they were able to to make it work and and press on the the resilience of some people it's astounding and your parents are exactly that now then troy walker's bought these two fillies he went to either you or your dad or both, and said he wanted a couple of broodmares, a couple, you know, to start breeding from. And your dad said, well, let's buy a couple of yearlings and fillies and we'll see how they go. And uh, one of them is famously Nordic Rain. So at what point did Nordic Rain come along, mate? And what point did you think to yourself, and was it after the floods that 
this is a good filly and that must have been so reinvigorating into the sport for all of you to know that you had a horse with some potential and some dreams were alive. Yeah, well, um, like you said, Troy yeah, got in contact and yeah, he was talking to Dad about you know, wanting to get some broodmares and we went to the um, sales instead and um, we went, Dad had already sort of picked a few out with Mum that they wanted to have a look at and she was the first one that we, we walked around to have a look at with uh, Glenn Craven and, and Aaron Taylor, now Aaron Craven, his wife, and yeah. um, pretty well from the moment she walked out of the box, I'm looking over and I'm going, oh, I like this filly. It was a really nice filly and you know, sort of pushing to make sure that she was one of the ones that they really went for. And um, yeah, after that, you know, she's pretty well from that point, you know, I say that she was she's mine even though there's no ownership that proves that. But, um, yeah, I did a bit of bit of work with her um, coming back up from Melbourne at the time because I was down there working a job <clears throat> and then, yeah, helping break her in and everything like that. And after I moved back up sort of permanently back up to the area, um, we just kept on sort of having to, you know, do a little bit with them and put them back out, just being young trotters and, and then shortly after that, that's when the, the floods went through when they'd just sort of come back into work because we had the idea that we would have liked to have tried to get them up for the uh, APG sales race up there at Menangle. And yeah. unfortunately, due to the fact that, you know, baby trotters and I've uh, had, had race horses going around and limited availability for boxes, you know, just due to the nature of things with, with other trainers, with Steve Duffy, there's only so many spots he could spare. And yeah. so, you know, she was one of the ones that unfortunately had to had to go back to the paddock during that time, and um, yeah, it was in a lot of ways you might say it was the best thing for her actually missing out on that early part of the season because she's now come through to the end of the season here and, and yeah. won the big one, the the prestigious, you know, the most prestigious race for for the young horses really. That was the blessing in disguise, and then. Like, as I said, it must have just reinvigorated you all once she gets back to work and seeing the ability she's got, because I know you saw it from day one. Yeah, I definitely did, and with her as well, she's just such a lovely natured horse, and, you know, sort of anything you were trying to do with her, she was just so professional about it, and, you know, having a horse like that where you're, you're doing the work, but it, it doesn't really feel like work, it, it was a, a big you know, sort of aspect of sort of really helping out after the floods to, um, yeah, sort of kick us back in the year. The name, mate, Nordic Rain. <coughs> Tell us about the, how you come up with that. Yeah, so being by Volstead, I just sort of thought that uh, that sounded like you know, a Nordic sort of a name. And yeah. um, with, with uh, the fact that, you know, sort of, big high hopes and dreams and that sort of thing, hoping that she'd be good and watching Queen Elida go around and just be such a star. I just thought, well, there's a bit of royalty there. Why not Why not sort of bring that into her name So somehow? And, yeah, I went with uh, Nordic Rain and I put that forward to, uh, to Mum and Dad and Troy and they all liked it. So it ended up going on the sheet as the number one name. The, the season unfolds and, you know, the bloody Vic Bread Heat, she gallops at Maryborough and then, oh, it just looks like it might be one of those years where you've got a really nice filly and she does everything right except for the time she really needs to. And I suppose the disappointment of that, mate, of 
going to the Vic Bird Heats and having a gallop and not make the final? Yeah, I'll be honest. I was absolutely filthy that day. Um, mm. Probably could have uh, boiled a kettle of, kettle of water on my head. I was steaming. But, yeah, um, yeah she, um, she, she ended up, she had excuses in the end because we sort of look back at it and say, well, she's, she did, she's a horse that doesn't grow a lot of heel on her back feet. And when she come off the track, she was actually bleeding from her frogs. So okay. she'd obviously got down and sort of worn them off. And I reckon that, you know, that as well as the fact that she was going through a little bit of growing at the time, she was just quite sore there on her feet and, and also just in her muscles. And she just, you know, couldn't couldn't sort of keep it together. And you, know, you come off after the race and you're just going, why, why has this happened at this time? What's going on? And, mm. and then you look back and go, well, this was happening. We, we knew that, you know, she did sort of wear on her, her frogs a bit and Dad had been working her with three-degree wedges for a while um, before she'd even qualified because of the issue. And I suppose, you know, just before the race, I think he changed her shoes back again and um, sort of, yeah, didn't sort of think about it. And then that's come about. And immediately after that, he put some uh, pads on her, on her back feet. And since then, there's not been an issue. She hasn't missed a beat. She wins the silver and you go into the Redwood, which is probably equally as prestigious a race, I suppose, for two-year-old trotters. And it was, I, I said before, and it's interesting to see her off the second row and see how she'll go coming from behind. And she ran a terrific, terrific race, mate. You must have been so proud of her that day. Yeah, I was incredibly proud of her. And um, obviously with the fact that it was her first standing start, she'd she'd only ever had one standing start trial. And she sort of stepped away okay, but very slow. And, and you know, as as they sort of are early on, you don't want to be pushing them too much. And she mm. comes through and had to start off the second row and standing there behind the other horses when uh, Kai Valley Michael sort of reared up and threw himself around a little bit and then had to do another circle. She was standing there for probably close to a minute, just standing behind the other horses and never phased her at all. And and then she just stepped away like a shot. And I couldn't believe how quickly she stepped. And I was sort of half thinking about Gun. giving her <laughs> yeah. a little bit of uh, a bit, a little bit of rain and just sort of seeing if I could hunt through underneath High Step and Kai Valley Michael early. And, and then I went, oh, don't do that. If you break her up, you'll look like a nonce. <laughs> yeah. And... At, the, at worst, she's probably going to run second or third. And sort of after I've decided not to do that, Kai Valley Michael galloped and High Step then worked to the front. And But she got away so well and so safe that, yeah, she was outside leader going into the first turn. And uh, Kate Gath pushed forward and gave us the 1-1. And I definitely think she is a little bit better filly from behind. Yeah. But um, she's just got such an incredible asset with her, with her gate speed coming off the mobile that, you know, she sort of lobs the front and she does well enough there that she's extremely competitive. So, yeah, it was coming from behind that day. I knew she'd she'd make some ground up and unfortunately we sort of got held up a little bit and I was a little bit unsure about going wide because that's where she galloped the last time yeah. over there at Maryborough on the last turn. And, yeah, just I reckon if I'd have, if I'd have just sort of set out after Greg, I, I might have finished right up on his wheel and... You never know how much she might have found and whether or not she'd have won the race. But as it sort of panned out, it, it just sort of needed to sort of just be a little bit more careful that day. And she's ended up running second.
She's run second. I don't know if you ever would have beaten Greg. She's a pretty good, pretty good horse, uh, that yeah. horse. So uh, you then you win the heat of the breeders' crown and everything goes right for you. So that monkey's off the back. You draw gate four on Saturday night and the breeders' crown. It's the ultimate race of the year for the two-year-old trotting fillies. And I suppose uh, you go into a race sometimes and you're 40 to one and the, there's no pressure on, but being favourite for a race like that, did that increase the pressure on you? Were you putting more pressure on yourself, being that she was the favourite in the race? Uh, to be honest, not really. Um, it didn't really make <laughs> much of a difference what she was paying to me because I knew, you know, what the job was ahead and from the barrier draw, you know, she'd, she'd done it a few times and she only needed to do it one more time, get out nice and solid, nice and quick. And I sort of looked at it after sort of the draws come out and I went oh actually I don't think I want to come out too hard mm-hmm. with uh, Maddie Gath on the outside and Nakey on the outside sort of thinking that if she split the field up like she sort of did they when she led in. led into the first um, mm-hmm. turn at Maryborough in a heat you know sort of lead 10 metres into the first turn well if they were to lob her back well all of a sudden it's sort of very dangerous but um, yeah I sort of just let her just come out a little bit quieter just to make sure that the inside horses were going to hold their ground and sort of protect me a little bit. So it was just sort of a case of that's the job, get it done. And whether she was the favourite or not, I didn't really care too much. I just wanted to make sure I did the right thing by her to try to win the race. Your first Group 1 drive, and it was well noted on the coverage of Trot's Vision that you weren't stressed at all, mate. We can still hear it now. you You've, you seem very clinical about it. Is this the rugby background coming out, perhaps, that, you know, you've got to be clinical when you're playing rugby and not really too worried about those huge blokes coming from the other way? It probably uh, deals into it somewhat. Yeah. But um, I think the big thing is really just that, you know, I knew what the horse was that I had and I knew what I needed to do to win the race if I was, you know, if she was going to be good enough. And at the end of the day, there's, there's not much point in stressing about it if if you do what you need to do and if they're good enough, they're good enough. And, yeah, not much point in trying to sort of overthink it and put any more pressure on than, than what was necessary. You, you win the race and the trifecta in the race, you know, Damien Burns runs second, Beck Morrissey runs third, and they're, you're all very similar families in harness racing, very popular people amongst the sport and, there was three groups cheering them home and the Burnses were celebrating running second and Beck Morrissey was celebrating running third. And, and of course, your mum and dad and, and, and Troy and a few other connections as well were celebrating winning the race. And it just seemed like such a beautiful trifecta of people and connections and stories. It just, it just so happened that on this occasion, you guys got the win. Yeah, definitely. Um, um... I reckon Beck Morris is probably getting sick of seeing us. It was uh, yeah. her filly having run second to us in the uh, Silver Series. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're all lovely people, and um, especially with the drive that Michael was able to sort of get her out on that turn and yeah. and flash home late and, and pick up third. Um, it was sort of probably as, as good as things we're probably going to get from the inside second row draw. You know, it's never easy to win a race from there when when the horse in front of you is not going to be leading. Yeah. And um, for her to finish the way that she did was 
incredible. I, I knew that she had that sort of a finishing speed, and, and I was glad that she she wasn't the one sitting camped on my back. Otherwise, it, yeah, again, it, w- it could have been very, very dangerous for us. Uh, it's whether or not we'd end up winning the race. And uh, Damien Burns, I, I thought his drive on his filly, given given the fact that she's such an incredibly tough filly and she just doesn't give up, to um, to size up that early speed and swing straight around the field and get up there and be right in the firing line was definitely the the best way for him to drive her and she she certainly didn't want to let us get away from her in the no, straight she didn't <laughs> she really but fought yeah. to the line and and you know you well know like the training performance of of Damien with a horse like that as well you know there's so much going on behind the scenes but you happen to win the breeders crown mate and as you say it says it's the crowning feature of the year that that feeling after the race oh couldn't keep the smile off my face um i know everyone else was sort of in tears and feeling very emotional and that but i was just so incredibly happy i just had the biggest grin and i just couldn't really believe the fact that this filly that we first went off the ranks viewing at the sales last year mm. had the setback with having to go back out you know when the floods come through and not, not get that education as a young horse and and then to come up and she won her first two and then ran into violet stanford and then you know she, she then just had to come through from that and we were sort of thinking well she's good filly but nathan's filly looks like she's probably just a touch better yeah and um so then for her to not be in the uh in the breeder's crown and for burden forces to go we said well it's an incredible you know position to be in where in a lot of ways with depending on the draw it could be our race to lose and yeah to, to come through on the other side of it it was just i was so happy you texting last week when i was talking to troy that if she wins the final, you'll get a tattoo of Nordic Reigns on your on your ribs or something. You, you, are you going to go ahead with that, mate? Yeah, I've booked in for next Tuesday. I've got the deposit already paid. So you, what will the tattoo be of exactly? So it'll be a portrait of her head and then with, uh, with the crown. Uh, and I'm going to be obviously going along with the advice of uh, my friend who's actually done all my other tattoo work as to how best frame it. Oh, wow. So that you'll sort of take a photo or something of the, of the breed of the actual crown itself, the trophy and, and of course her head and then he'll, he'll put it all together and you'll just get a little, a little two centimeter square circle or two centimeter by two centimeter tattoo on you, or is it going to be like huge? No. Uh, Probably take up the same sort of space as the palm of your hand, I'd say. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. On your chest, uh, near your heart somewhere, mate? Oh, that's been the suggestion from a few people, but um, I'm not real certain about getting any tattoos over my chest. Um, so I plan on just sort of keeping it down on the ribs on the right-hand side. But uh, my, the tattoos that I've got um, for my horse are all on my right arm. So keep the keep the horses and the, that sentimentality all on that side. Matt, it's amazing what they can do for us through different journeys and challenges we have in life, these horses, and Nordic Rain's obviously done that for you, and uh, I think to get a tattoo of her just shows how much she means to you and how much Saturday night meant to you as well and to the family, and the journey we've all been on as an industry with you guys through this, as people like me have been promoting it for a long time, 
congratulations on behalf of everyone in harness racing. It was a very famous win and a very popular win, and we're very proud of what you guys have achieved over the last 15 months. Yeah, no, thank you, and to everybody that's reached out and given us their support and congratulated us before and after the race. Obviously, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling to, to come through, you know, what we've come through, especially with the fires and everything else many years ago. And yeah. Uh, to, to get to where we've gotten to with, with this horse. And, yeah, like I said before, she's from virtually the time that she came out of the box there at the sales, she's, I've said she's mine, even if there's no ownership to prove it. She's been a beautiful filly for me to handle and, and to be given the opportunity to, to drive her from, from both Dad and Troy. And, yeah, this op- these opportunities don't come along every day. Unfortunately, mate, she's ours now. She's so many people's horse now, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get used to sharing her with a few more. I don't think she'll mind too much as long as people turn up with some licorice. <laughs> oh, very good, Matt. Thanks again, mate. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Keep keep at the uh, truck driving, and uh, we'll catch up with you somewhere soon. And uh, thank you for having me on, Toby. And uh, hope you have a good day. And yeah, again, thank you to everyone.